Well, if you guys have your Bibles, and if you don't, you can grab one right up here. Um, but if you have your Bibles, open it up to 1 Peter chapter 4. We're going to be finishing up chapter 4 this week. And uh, actually, next week is the final week in 1 Peter, which we'll focus on chapter 5. So we're coming to an end here soon. But 1 Peter chapter 4, starting at verse 12, we'll be looking at verses 12 through 19. I'm going to read it and then we'll pray. This is the word of God. It says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer, or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Let's pray. Father, we come before you tonight and we are thankful, Lord. We're thankful that we can gather and that we can sing, that we can worship you, Lord. My prayer tonight is that you would be glorified in this message, that ultimately we can know you better through your word. Pray, pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when I was younger, uh, I, I don't remember exactly when, I, I think I must have been in elementary school or something, but um, I remember my parents coming up to me, they said that they had some really cool and exciting news. We had just moved out of our house and my dad had gone back to school um, to get his teaching degree. A lot of you know that he's now a teacher at Tumwater High School with my mom. And uh, okay, no booze, that's good. Boo. We're all friendly here. Uh, so my dad came up to me though and he said that he has some exciting news. He said that his uh, degree or his uh, education certification or whatever is coming to an end and that he's going to be a student teacher at Tumwater High School. And so my 10-year-old or however old I was, big brain, was trying to decipher what this meant. I mean, I was trying to figure out what he meant by student teacher. I was calculating my brain, okay, so a student is someone who learns and who is being taught to. And a teacher is someone who is teaching, so how can someone be a student teacher? It seems to contradict itself, right? And I mean, of course, now I know that actually what a student teacher is, is someone who is finishing their teaching degree, someone who is still a student, learned to become a teacher by being a teacher, right? That's, that's what a student teacher is. But this type of uh, phrase in English um, is called an oxymoron, where something seemingly contradicts itself. But by way of context and culture, we know actually what it means. You use these every day. I, I've got some other examples like old news, small crowd, deafening silence. I mean, usually something that's deafening is very loud, but we know that it means an awkward or uncomfortable silence, right? Living dead, zombies, right? So I say all this to kind of bring us to this point because... When we read a passage like this, and there's many passages like this throughout the Bible where it talks about joy and suffering. And this can be kind of a challenging concept to grasp because 
It seems like an oxymoron. It seems like something that contradicts itself. How can you have joy while you suffer? And I'm not talking about some sort of psychopath who enjoys pain, and that's not what Peter is talking about either. He's talking about how Christians can have joy and suffering because the fact is that when trials do come, when suffering does present itself, being in Christ actually differs your response from the world in a drastic way. So the title of my message tonight is Suffering as Exiles, because it's important to note that we know that Peter is writing to exiles, Christians, exiles of the dispersion, right? People who, who aren't home yet because home is heaven. And so they're having their time of their exile here on earth. So he's talking to them as exiles. So that's important. Because the main point that Peter is trying to engrave in his reader's brain and what I am trying to engrave in your brains is that as a Christian, as Christians, you have the unique ability to suffer joyfully because of the Lord's faithfulness. You have the unique ability to suffer joyfully because of the Lord's faithfulness. I put the word unique in there on purpose. You probably know what it means. But see, I just finished my math degree at Western Washington University, and we use the word unique a lot in mathematics. In math, unique means that a variable number, value, or element is one of a kind and the only one that can satisfy the conditions of a given statement, right? So, so you have three plus blank equals four. Well, obviously, the only number that can fit in there is one. One is the unique number that can fit in there to make the... Um, equation true. If that illustration doesn't hold for you, uh, last night I, w- I was on YouTube and I saw this advertisement for Kentucky Fried Chicken and uh, Colonel Sanders was talking to me and he said, um, the new Kentucky Fried Chicken sandwich is not just finger looking good, it's the only sandwich that's finger looking good. So nothing else is finger looking good, right? This is the only thing that can satisfy this Requirement or whatever. Yeah, well, to each their own. But what's my point here by saying Christians are unique in this? Only in Christ can you actually take true joy in suffering. Only in Christ. And so, Peter kind of breaks up this passage. Um, First, we will see the why. Why we can take joy and suffering. And that why is because we partake in Christ's sufferings. He, su- he supplements this with two commands, um, which we'll get into. And then at the end of the passage, he tells us how. How. And that's entrusting our souls. That is how we can have joy. But first of all, going in order, let's start off with verse 12. Would you look down with me? It reads, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Because you partake in Christ's sufferings, you can have joy. And because you have Because you partake in Christ's sufferings, you should not be surprised when trials present themselves, when the fiery ordeal presents itself in your life. When sufferings come, he's saying, there's no need to be surprised because 
You can look at the life of Christ, and it wasn't a cakewalk, right? He suffered his entire life. He underwent the most suffering that anyone has ever gone through. And so, we can remember the illustration from a few weeks ago, last time I spoke, actually, when I was talking about submitting to authority, about the way we live our life is, is after Christ's example. Like we're learning cursive, or like we're tracing those lines, that, those dotted lines that he has set before us, we're just tracing those. And Christ suffered a lot. So do not be surprised. Jesus' own words in John 15, 20, say, remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. In other words, because Christ is our perfect example, you can expect suffering to present itself in your life. And so how do we respond to this? We'll look at verse 13. It says, But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. So we have this picture of rejoicing now so that we may rejoice later. And this isn't anything new. I mean, if you look uh, all the way back at the first chapter of 1 Peter, when we first opened this book uh, on verse 11, it says, inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted, listen, the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. The sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Or, um, in the verse right after this passage that we're looking at, the first verse of chapter 5, he says, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder, and a witness to the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. So, rejoicing now in our sufferings does lead to rejoicing when the glory of Christ is revealed. Listen, we, we are, uh, this isn't just Peter, right? He's, he's not just kind of going on, this is like a Peter kind of thing to talk about. I mean, Paul says in Romans 17 that we are, or Romans 8, 17, that we are fellow heirs, we are co-heirs with Christ. This is good news, that we can partake in the glories of the cross. This is why you can rejoice now. But you may be wondering, why must I suffer Right, Because we've talked about how God is a perfect father to us. We, we talked about how he's not some sort of abusive father or anything like that. So, so why do we have to actually undergo suffering? Well, I love the illustration that Dane Ortland uses in his book, Gentle and Lowly. If you're coming to the book studies, you'll know that we talked about this. But he writes, when a body part has been injured, it requires the pain and labor of physical therapy. But that physical therapy is not punitive. It is intended to bring healing. It is out of care for, the, for that limb that the physical therapy is assigned. So this is when talking about the father's discipline to his children. When you go through physical therapy, it's not to hurt you. It's to ultimately heal you. This isn't anything new. We saw in 1 Peter chapter 1 as well that, that actually... Uh, trials, when they present themselves, are a form of refinement. They're refining your faith, which is finer than gold and the finest silvers, right? It's perfecting your faith. So these trials, when they enter your life, you can take joy in them. 
You ought to be thankful for them. So this whole point is to not be surprised. If you find yourself still being surprised, it might be because you kind of think of yourself highly, right? I'm pretty good, so I don't know why I need all these sufferings to refine myself. Matter of fact, why do bad things always happen to me? Why do bad things happen to good people in general? Have you ever heard that one before? Listen, bad things happening to good people has only happened once in the eternity of history. And it was to Christ Jesus for your sake. So you can take joy in that. Verse 14 gives a good conclusion to this sort of section. He says, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. We'll look at this more, but you can see this as an encouragement. It's almost like evidence of your faith when you go through suffering as a Christian Right? When, 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 when things seem to just stack against you, you can take heart that it is all counted a blessing. And you can take heart the words that we sang, that even what the enemy means for evil, you turn it for our good. That's not just nice words that went together. That's scriptural. Take heart. When the refining fire comes upon you, for you know that it is through the discipline of God that your faith is perfected. So think it not strange to endure suffering during your exile, for this is as Christ suffered. And so you bear the name of Christ, which kind of leads us into the next little command that he kind of gives, um, which is don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed when you suffer as a Christian. Look at verse 15. We'll read 15 and 16. It says, But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. So remember, the why we may take joy in the midst of suffering is because We are partaking in Christ's sufferings. We are co-heirs with Christ. And so, you ought not to be ashamed. Verse 15 gives a good contrast to what we read in verse 14. Let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. I think it's a... It can be sort of a temptation of ours, and it for sure might have been a temptation for the people Peter was writing to that we can just kind of look at our lives, and if something difficult is kind of happening, we can just say, well, Christ suffered too, so I guess I'm doing good. But actually, you need to take a closer look because assurance in suffering does require some discernment, right? We, we kind of talked about this a few weeks ago, but if you steal something, if you kill someone, don't suffer as a murderer, thief, right? If you kill someone and you go to jail, sure, jail is tough. I no doubt it is. But listen, you deserve that jail. It's not suffering as a Christian when you do that. It's justified. You deserve that. That's not what we're talking about. 
So make sure you are discerning your suffering. Verse 16, Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. It's interesting, this is the only time that Christian is used by someone who is not an opponent. So Peter is addressing them as Christians. You are a Christian, which is follower of Christ. So he's saying you are to suffer as a Christian. You are to suffer as a follower of Christ, meaning as Christ suffered. You see the parallels of our lives in Christ, how they should kind of be aligned? And he says, let him glorify God in that name. In that name. It turns out that suffering as a Christian marks you as a Christian. I took note of something that Aaron said a couple weeks ago when he was talking about what makes a true gospel-centered ministry. And something stood out because I knew I was thinking about this passage. He said, a true gospel-centered ministry is that composed of people who are marked by their joy and suffering for the Lord's sake. A true gospel-centered ministry is that composed of a people who are marked by their joy and suffering for the Lord's sake. This should be an encouragement. If you are suffering, this, this is what marks you as a Christian, right? It's at least a major fruit of being a Christian is suffering. If I had lined up right here, someone in a football player uniform, an astronaut uniform, a military uniform, right? Just an array of people. Which one would you expect to be able to fly to the moon? Probably the astronaut, because he's marked by what he's wearing, right? So, so in the same way that, that the astronaut is marked by what he wears, so you, Christian, are marked by the fruit in your lives. And oftentimes, one of the largest fruits of Christians is suffering. Something that John Calvin wrote really just made me think twice about this idea of taking joy in suffering. He said, um, he's referring to those persecuted for righteousness sake. He said, for our thought then should be how high the honor which God bestows upon us in distinguishing us by the special badge of his soldiers. Have you ever thought about it like that? You probably I mean, that's not your first thought. When you're going through something, like, like, let's get back down to earth a little bit. When you're going through something difficult, when you're going through your parents fighting, when you're going through troubles with friends or girlfriends or boyfriends or whatever that is, how, do, have you ever just paused and been like, well, how high the honor of being uh, distinguished by this badge of those who he calls a son and daughter? That's a difficult thing to do, which is why we must be reminded that we ought to be thankful when we suffer. You have to consistently remind yourself that the Lord is working for your good, that tough things happen, that hard times come, but ultimately it is for the refinement of your faith and it is for your good. You can't simply read this passage. <laughs> Remember the author here. Let him not be ashamed. Remember Peter, 
who walked with Christ. I just, I read this and I just hear him screaming out, don't be ashamed like I was. When Christ told me that, that I was going to deny him, and I just, I was so arrogant that I said, no, there's no way I'm going to deny you, Lord. Well, what happened? People asked him, do you know this man? No. Do you know him? No. No. And then the rooster crows. Don't be ashamed like I was. This is a plea. I know many of you are going off to college. This is simple advice, and, and it might be hard to kind of apply directly, but, but this is what I'll say. Don't surrender your faith for people. I don't care if you're going to a Christian school. I don't care if you're going to just a public school. There will be times when you are challenged on will you bear the name of a Christian? Do not step down, but take it as an honor that you are distinguished by your suffering when you stand up for Christ. I'm not telling you to be loud or obnoxious or to get in debates that you don't have to get to. I'm just telling you to live like Christ lived. Christ lived with a gentle and lowly spirit, yet he would never, he, he would never step down from this position of, of honoring the Father. So that's what I'm calling you to. And thus, you can rejoice in knowing that Christ has given you the status as his son and his daughter. Are you starting to see how this is actually an encouragement? Now, the next section is um, the point of maybe largest application. But we kind of get into the how. How do we do this? Well, ultimately, we must entrust our souls to the faithful creator. So let's look down at verse 17. It says, For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will, the, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, this is the key verse here. Let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So I'll give you some quick context. Um, when we look at verse 17, uh, there's actually a lot of language here that mimics the language found in Malachi 3, right? Old Testament book, a lot of language here mimics that of Malachi 3. And I could probably talk about it for a very, very long time, but for our purpose here tonight and for time's sake, here's what you must know. Is that in 1 Peter 2.5, he confirms that we are the temple, you also are like living stones being built up into the temple. We are the temple. In Malachi, in the Old Testament, the temple was an actual place. We are the temple now. In Malachi, the temple is cleansed by fire. This is an interesting passage in Malachi, but, but basically the point is, is that it is cleansed by fire. Fire is used to refine the temple. And so it is... We are being refined. 
Verse 17 makes it clear that this is a time of refinement for us, for the Christians, for the exiles, for the people who aren't home yet. This is a time during our exile of refinement. And verse 18 takes us a little further and says, if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Now, this word scarcely, I don't want you to get confused with um, like possibly this idea that, that God maybe tries to save people and sometimes he doesn't. Listen, we believe and we affirm that God is sovereign over all things, that, that once he has sinners in his grasp, that he doesn't let go, and that whoever he has in his sight, whoever is a chosen person of God, will be saved. We know that, we, we believe that, we affirm that, this is true. So what's he saying? Well, this word, scarcely, is the Greek word malis, which kind of means uh, a lot of times with difficulty. And so the point is that if the righteous, if, if the righteous are with difficulty saved, if the refining fire has to come upon the righteous to be saved, what's going to happen to the ungodly and the sinner? Well, I'll tell you that fire has two different purposes, refinement and destruction. So you can be encouraged that for the exile, for the Christian, you are being refined by fire. These trials are refining your faith. They are not there to destroy you, but to refine you. Finally, let's focus, focus on verse 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will and trust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. This, this verse let, let, let those who suffer according to God's will, let the Christians entrust their souls to their faithful creator. This verse, if I had to point to any verse to summarize the entire book of 1 Peter that we've gone through so far, if you need to circle this verse and say, hey, this is kind of the main point of the entire book of 1 Peter, go ahead and do it because this kind of summarizes everything that we've talked about, right? This, it gives us this idea that our suffering leads to us entrusting our souls to a faithful creator, that we can trust God in our suffering, that we can lean on God, and that we should do good while we do it, that we should pursue holiness, that we should pursue sanctification, and that we should ultimately entrust our souls. I've been to Disneyland a few times. The first time... I remember I was too scared to really go on anything. I think the most intense ride I went on was the teacups, which spin around, you know, they kind of make you dizzy and throw up. But I remember the second time I was going, I was like, okay, I'm going to be brave. Uh, there was one ride I had in my mind, I'm going to make sure I do this ride. Has anyone heard of Tower of Terror? Yeah. It's gone now, right? It's replaced yeah. with the Guardians thing. But listen, Tower of Terror in California Adventure was like the spooky version of the Guardians of the Galaxy ride now, right? It's basically this huge elevator that just sends you straight up and straight down and then up and down. And it's just, it's, it's terrifying, right? It's like a spooky atmosphere, but I was like, no, I'm going to do it. And I did. I went in line and I got in line and, and I was worried. I was a little scared. But also I know that Disneyland isn't really like 
Wild Waves or any of these places. I mean, if you go to Wild Waves and you ride the Timberhawk and you kind of hear the wood cracking underneath, you're like, okay, is this thing going to crumble while I'm going, right? You can see the whole coaster moving. Yeah, you can see it swaying in the wind. and it, Yeah, it's kind of sketchy, but still go on it. <laughs> but Disneyland isn't like that, right? Like, like, if Disneyland were to have some sort of incident, it would truly cost them. They, they would get sued. That Man, that would be a whole thing, right? So when I got into the Tower of Terror... I sat down in the seat, in the seat, and I strapped in. I put this one on, I put this one on, I put this thing on. I realized, slowly started to realize, wow, there is no way anything is ever going to happen to me. And sure enough, five minutes, ten minutes later, however long the ride took, I walked off safely. And during the ride, I remember being scared, of course. I mean, it's a scary ride, but I never feared for my life. I always knew that I was going to be intact. And so it's not a perfect illustration, but I'm using this to, to point to this idea that, yes, this time as an exile is tough and maybe scary and difficult, but ultimately you must know that you will arrive in heaven intact, that God's grip on you does not slip. It holds you close. This verse is such an encouragement to me, and I hope it's an encouragement to you. Let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator. This is the Lord who is faithful. Faithful to use our trials for refinement. Faithful to die on a cross and rise three days later. Faithful to hold fast sinners who he has adopted into his fold. He is faithful This is why you can take joy in trials. This is how you can take joy in trials, by giving your soul to the Lord, by just saying, Lord, I know that this time is tough, but ultimately, I know that you have me. I know that you have me safe in your hands. Don't don't get it twisted. Peter here is, he's not undermining the weight of your trials. He's not saying that it's, not so bad, and and just kind of chill. Everything's going to be okay, so just live life and just kind of go, right? One day at a time, it'll be okay. He knows the weight. He knows his readers are suffering. He knows it's difficult. So what a joyful comfort it is to know that we have a faithful creator. And if you read through the Bible especially through the New Testament, and you read all the promises made to those who are in Christ, and then you read these words that we have a faithful creator who doesn't go back on his word, who doesn't go back on any promises, then you ought to be encouraged. And again, we should look at Christ in this. When we look to entrust our souls to a faithful creator, we have to look to our perfect example. So in chapter two, in the last message that I spoke about a month ago, chapter two, verse 23, we read, this is referring to Christ when he was walking to the cross. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued 
entrusting himself to him who judges justly. In the midst of the most aggressive persecution and suffering that the world has ever seen, what did Christ do? He entrusted his soul to him who judges justly. Take heart and have faith. Because for a creator so faithful, it seems foolish. For the man, woman, high schooler, middle schooler who doesn't trust him. So ultimately, we have this large point that we want to apply to our lives. How could one possibly take joy even in the midst of suffering? And trust your soul. And trust your soul to God. Trust him. He is good. He is perfect. He is loving. So after reading and looking at all of this, we understand that at first glance, it may not make sense. At first glance, it seems like an oxymoron, like a contradiction. And I'll just have you know that that is a good majority of the Bible. That this whole idea of our King and Savior, Jesus, that we praise and that we sing songs about, condescending into the flesh and dying for us, this idea of a king dying rather than conquering is a complete flip for what the rest of the world imagines. This is how the Bible presents Christ. And so it shouldn't be so surprising when you're told that you may take joy in your suffering. When you suffer, I, I, I love the way that John Piper puts it. He says, rejoicing now in the midst of suffering shows that your treasure is in Christ, not the world. Rejoicing now shows that your treasure is in Christ, not the world. When you're going through something, when something's hitting you hard, if you are able to rejoice in those moments, not be happy, not, not necessarily smile, you can rejoice in weeping. But if you know that the Lord is faithful and you know that the Lord is ultimately using this for your good in the midst of sorrows, it shows where your treasure is. That is evidence of your faith. So be not surprised at the frequency of your trials nor be ashamed in the midst of them, but ultimately entrust your souls to a faithful savior who calls you his own. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these wonderful biblical truths, Lord. We thank you that we can entrust our souls to you, Lord, that you are so faithful that you don't let sinners go. Lord, we thank you that you have called us your own. We thank you that you give us this ability to take joy, even in the hardest moments, even in the midst of our sorrows, Lord. We can rejoice because we know the gospel that saves us. We know that you have defeated the grave so that sinners like all of us can be saved. And we know that this time is the time of our exile. And so, Lord, we rejoice in the excitement 
of seeing your face one day. Lord, help us to rejoice day in and day out in the good moments and in the bad, Lord. Help us to turn to you. Help us to glorify you in everything we do because you are worthy of it all. We praise you. We praise, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.